Welcome back to The Evolution. My name is Jeff Bayless. This is episode 51 with Stephen Drum. Uh, Steve's a retired Mass Chief, did 27 years in the Navy on active duty. And uh, obviously he was a SEAL, so a lot of experience there in leadership and uh, working through challenging environments. We talked about his U.S. Navy Warrior Toughness Program that he helped facilitate the startup that is in boot camp now. A lot of good takeaways in this conversation. I'll let you uh, dive right in, and uh, I would love some feedback on this episode. Uh, if you like anything that um, Steve shared, you know, go over to his platforms, give it a share, give it a like, uh, and do the same for me. You know, I don't, uh, I don't do this for money or anything. This is all about service and just trying to help you guys put some positive stuff into your earbuds. And so, if you uh, if you get anything out of this conversation, I'd appreciate uh, any way you could help us out in that way. All right, guys, enjoy. All right, hey Steve, uh, I appreciate you taking the time uh, and connecting with me here in a Zoom call and uh, on the on the show, man. Uh, it's good to meet you, and uh, I appreciate you coming on. Oh, you bet, Jeff. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's a dreary day up here in the Midwest, and so this is a good way to break that up. I appreciate it. <laughs> break a little bit of the uh, quarantine life right now. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of the audience uh, will resonate with your story. That's why I wanted to reach out to you and ask you to come on. You know, I, I like, I like to uh, breathe life into anything that has to do with resilience uh, and the, what you're doing, the work you've done uh, in the Navy, uh, after the Navy, all of that is breathing life into this uh, mindfulness, into resilience. And so I don't want to, I'm sure we will get to your background and all that in the conversation, but I don't want to just, you know, I think that's kind of a, a plain question that what I would ask is, you know, what's your like your sole driver, your prime mover, or what's your, what are you masterful at that got you to where you're doing what you're doing now? And then let us know what you're doing now. Yeah. So I think when I, when I look back at my career and I, and I really said, all right, what were, what were the, some of the, you, you know, the most impactful times and what do you think that you made the biggest contribution to, you know, either the national objectives or, or you know to, to the people that you worked with and, and to the mission itself and I have to look back and say you know I, I enjoyed the combat operations and I, and I do miss that I miss being an operator um, but really when I look back and say the most value that I thought that I brought was in teaching and instruction and things like that and then of course the, the program that I helped develop for the Navy I think that like when I look back on that my body of work those are the things that I'm probably the most proud of. And so those are the things when I, when I thought about what am I going to do next uh, post-retirement, those were the type of, that was the spirit in which I looked through, right? That little lens I looked through it was how can I be of service to other people in some way, shape, or form while doing the things that I felt like I'm meant to be doing and the things that give me the greatest amount of satisfaction. And that is, to me, if I can be in front of things that light me up or being in front of a live audience, whether it's you know, whether it's five people or whether it's a thousand people, either way, I feel like that's, you, you know, that excites me, that human, that being able to connect with people is what kind of drives me. And, you know, if we look at where we're, we are now, it, it's, you know, the medium in which I can do that obviously has to change. You know, mm -hmm. I don't get the, I don't get the full satisfaction of being able to be in front of people live, yet I can still disseminate the things that are important to me, the things that I really believe add value. And so I, at least I'm still able to do that, even if the medium has to change. Yeah, I love that, uh, that service minded, uh, you know, that servant leadership, right? Like trying to remain within some, like I've talked a lot about, you know, when you're in the uniform, uh, and I'll, I'll say it for you, you're 27 year uh, Navy SEAL Mass Chief, right? So when you're, when you're in the uniform, you're wearing that American flag every day. You have that automatic purpose and service, right? And so as we transition out, we have to find, hopefully we're not using a scarcity mindset, right? But we have to find some other form of tribe and service and purpose. And you've, you've definitely been able to do that. And so uh, kudos to you for finding that, right? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, and that's with anything. You know, I think it's when you really, and when things aren't going well, I think I'm a big believer in stepping back and say, what, what, what am I committed to? Who am I committed to? And what am I willing to do to demonstrate that? What am I going to be able to 
demonstrate with discipline that these things are important to me. And I think those are the things that, that we can lean into when we, you know, are uncertain when we face doubt that we all face, right? I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. Uh, that, that's some of the biggest uh, revelations that I think some people have yet to make are, are that I don't care what level of success you see people in, they have doubt, they have struggle, they had to work really, really hard to get there and to stay there. And so I think those are the type of things that we need to kind of to consider. Yeah. And I, I think I, I talk a lot about too, just being a human being like right now we think that, or me personally on active duty, you know, we're like, okay, well, this is arduous in nature. The, the nature of the work that we're doing is arduous, but just the fact that, you know, you're a human being, not a human doing. And so you're going to just the human experience to have adversity. Right. And so you're going to have struggle, just like you said, very eloquently. So then what do you do? What are your coping mechanisms and how do you identify that? And what do you do to, you know, grow as, as a person and be able to manage those hard things? Well, it definitely requires reflection. And, and I think, you know, I always like to say, it's a long winded way of answering your question, I suppose. But you, know, when I look at the leadership challenges that I faced, and I've talked about this before, it's not like it's very sexy to say, yeah, when the bullets were flying, I, I did this and I led my men heroically. And really, you know, it's a SEAL, you know, tactical leader that really wasn't so much the case. Not, not that that didn't happen sometimes, but really the challenges in leadership are, are when the bullets aren't flying. It's when you've now have to ask, the people that you're working with to pivot and do things that aren't sexy to, to do the kind of things that they don't find fulfilling to be, to help motivate them to do those type of things. And it's, I, I would imagine it's the same as, you know, shipboard life when you're out there in the med cutting squares on an LHD for seemingly no reason, right? It becomes very hard for that individual sailor potentially working in the engineering spaces who, who has missed the birth of their first child to find that purpose. And I think as leaders in whatever walk of life you're in, you have to really help first, obviously validate your own purpose, but do the, that for all the people within your sphere of influence, validate and many times revalidate that sense of purpose. And in the instance of, you know, of a ship born deployment, when maybe there's not a lot going on, it's, it's focusing on professional development, on giving them additional leadership skills, having them be able to move forward and still at the same time, really let them know what their contribution is to the, to the greater organization and why they matter. Yeah, I love that. You know, I, I think leadership, and I'm not the only one who said this, but leadership is influence, right? Like that is one way to define leadership. I mean, there's probably a thousand ways you could define being a leader, right? But really it's because you have influence on those around you, right? Those that are following you per se. And so the, the, the pillar that makes that foundation is your self-care, right? Like if you are not taking care of yourself first, your sphere of influence, as you said, you know, you can't, you can't lead them properly. You can't be there for them if you're not there for yourself first. Right. And so, you know, there, there are many, I look, I think of it as like a, the spoke in a wheel, right. In a wagon wheel. Right. So all of these spokes we have to maintain that, that balance or that true of the wheel. Right. So what are some of those spokes in the wheel that you would consider to be primary uh, of importance uh, to maintain some form of positive influence on others? You know, so I like, I, I like talking leadership, right? And I like, I, I like going all the way up to, you know, strategic type of, maybe that's not the best word, but, but overarching principles, you know, you know, like we have in the military commander's intent, that overarching mm-hmm. purpose, being able to, to communicate vision and strategy with execution, being able to help people develop training plans, contingency plans, uh, lessons learned. Uh, and, and so, but if I take that, the foundational element, before we do that, we've got to, and it's what we do to a degree in the military, maybe not always as effectively as we can do, but we build that foundation for, we teach people the elements of self-management. And so that's kind of where the warrior mindset came in that I developed for the warrior toughness program. And that really starts with, again, as I already mentioned, that level of commitment, really making sure that you're fully invested into the tasks, into the organizations, into your own development. 
And then it's, we move into kind of where we start talking about those individual proficiencies or, or capabilities. And, and so again, what we taught in, in the Warrior Toughness program is some performance psychology, which I'm a big believer in. Yes. Things such as mental rehearsal, visualization, how we effectively set goals. And then as John and I talked about on the Veterans Pot that we, you and I discussed before the mm -hmm. podcasts on the Veterans Path podcast, uh, we talk about how important mindfulness and meditation are, right? It used to be that the hippie, hippie dippy stuff and with gals wearing yoga pants, right? And they're doing you know, their crisscross applesauce. But now we know that it's like the, the science and the research proves how it develops pathways in your brain for increased levels of focus and emotional awareness and regulation and things like that. And so it's a, that, that would definitely be one of those spokes would be the performance psychology aspect and the mindfulness meditation aspect just to start off with. Yeah. How did you get into uh, mindfulness and then how did that evolve into uh, what you built there at, uh, at Great Lakes? Well, I'm always forthright in, in admitting the areas in my career where, where I was not strong, that I, that I did not have, you know, the highest level of capability in. And one of those areas was as it related to kind of being able to be one person, but not being consistently that person in front of my family, you know, being able to kind of perform at work, but, you know, maybe at home, I wasn't the father or the husband that I needed to be. And, so when I went about creating the warrior mindset, my contribution to the other team members, which were a chaplain and a psychologist, it was very important to me that I set out a, with trying to demonstrate the importance of consistency, right? Mm. Uh, the practices that make me a better, it's like that, uh, I think Mel Gibson's character in the, we were soldiers. He talks mm -hmm. about that with the junior officer. Uh, you know, the better I am, and being a father and a husband, the better I am with being a combat leader, right? And, and if we, if we, because there's so many areas that tie in. So if I'm good at regulating my emotions under fire, if I can just make sure that I look at it through in the same manner as I do when the kids are, are screaming at me, you know, when I'm being cut off in traffic, right? It's the same process. I've just got to make sure that I tie the two of those things together and, and be consistent. And so I was first introduced to mindfulness up at a you know, program called NICO up mm -hmm. in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, National Intrepid Center of mm -hmm. Excellence. It was a grant-run program right there near uh, Walter Reed uh, Hospital, and it's head-to-toe. Anything from the neck up gets you in, whether it's PTS or, or uh, traumatic brain injury, whatever it is, and then from there, they go through head-to-toe, and so... The, some of the operators that went in before me were like, look, this place is amazing, but if you want to get maximum value, don't dismiss anything. And so they had us doing mu uh, music therapy, art therapy, you know, you have your, uh, you know, rehab, you have, uh, and, and at one point I'm doing, I'm introduced to mindfulness and meditation and, and now in, uh, in NICO, that's, that's inpatient. Like you're there. Yeah. Um, I'm inpatient. Yeah. You're there for like a month. Right. And, you know, and I, and I didn't connect with everything. Right. But you know, there are certain elements that I'm like, yeah, this is really good. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't necessarily have the follow through with the mindfulness meditation piece because there was literally, it was just one of many, many tools. Um, but when we started building the warrior toughness program, the psych, the, uh, the clinical psychologist that I was partnered with, she really started teaching me a lot about that and a lot about meditation and mindfulness and, and being able to help teach it obviously really reinforces, uh, you know, not only my understanding, but my ability to kind of follow through and do it. And once I committed to kind of doing it as a daily practice, I really started realizing the benefits in terms of my focus and my being able to manage my, my emotions better. Yeah. Uh, so I became a big believer and I, I really want to really want to try to sell that to as many people as possible. Just the importance of it. Yeah. I think uh, most of my audience, most of the listeners will agree with that. So you probably don't have to sell it too hard to us, yeah. man. Yeah, we get it. Uh, you know, and I, I think one thing that at least as military uh, individuals and definitely as men, there's like this stigma attached to, you know, being still, right. Or being into the woo woo or even talking about energy or mindfulness or, you know, 
I remember when I first started like reading books and guys on the ship were like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> you know, like there's this weird stigma around um, mindfulness, meditation, being still, uh, introspection, right? It just as a whole introspection, right? So uh, how did you, how did you battle the, the, the stigma? Did you, did you experience stigma at all? Uh, and then, you know, what can, what, what would your advice be to someone that is experiencing some negative connotation from their friends or shipmates or whatever? Well, you know, as a SEAL, you know, uh, not everyone, but I would say almost all of us as, as uh, special operations uh, forces, we're very, we're very much paying attention to any type of performance enhancer. You know, like an athlete, right? You look at professional athletes uh, uh, who are playing at the highest levels, you know, in terms of their physical ability, their speed, their strength, uh, dexterity, whatever that's going to be, they're all very, very much the same. But in order for you to break yourself out, the athlete that is invested in being more present and more focused than the people to the left and right of them, that's the athlete that has an edge. The athlete that can, that can be more aware of what's going on in, in their own game that can now take that and put that into take those experiences and feed them into prepare, preparing and training for the next event. Those are the, that, that's the type of edge. So as, as seals, we're very much open to things like that. And we really don't care where it comes from. Hmm. I always make, I make the joke if it's a middle-aged librarian that, that that's going to show us a process on how it can uh, enhance execution. We're going to be all about it. We don't care. We'll, we'll take it and we'll use it. Um, what I found when we started teaching the program during boot camp, the some of the more experienced sailors coming from the fleet, they were not open to new things. They're like, I've already been, you know, I, I was kicking ass, you know, back then as a as a rec as a drill instructor, right? Recruit division commander. I just do I do fine. I don't need any more tools. But you know, the recruits, they don't know any better. So they're right. all on, they're all on board, right? And the new They haven't been programmed yet. Right, yeah. and, and, and yeah. to agree that also applied to, you know, you have RDCC school, the drill instructor school, right? You show up at boot camp to be a drill instructor. You go through that training, that C school, uh, and then, you know, then you can lead recruits. And so for those that, that went through the first time who had never done it, who have never, uh, as they say, pushed recruits before, mm -hmm. that came easy to them. They were like, all right, yeah, we're, this, this sounds good. We don't know any better. Same, same as the recruits. Uh, a lot of the resistance, the more experienced, you know, the old teaching the old dogs the new tricks, we definitely, uh, we definitely felt resistance there. And, and part of my job as somebody, as a SEAL, right, not a lot of SEALs up there in Great Lakes, mm -hmm. as, as a Master Chief SEAL, my job was to provide that credibility piece. Uh, you know, you have a chaplain and a psychologist, you, you know, people aren't going to necessarily relate to what they're putting down, but if you add a third leg and make that strong stool out of three legs, then, you know, the seal should be able to get up and at least have some credibility in terms of what it's like to perform under pressure, what it's like to take a hit and keep on going and what it's like to deal with the long protracted day in day out grind. So what were some of those, um, those practices that you, cause honestly, a hundred percent full disclosure, I didn't even know that was a boot camp program until I listened to your podcast with, uh, John McCaskill, uh, highly recommend that to anybody that, uh, likes what we're talking about. Uh, definitely go check out that, that interview and also just all the work that John's doing is really remarkable stuff. Um, but I didn't know it was a program at the time and, and listening to you explain it, I was thinking to myself like, Oh my God, like, every sailor in the fleet that hadn't had that in boot camp should go through that school now, right? Like even at 19 years in the Navy and going to retire on September 11th, I would love to go experience that. Right. Uh, so tell us what that school looks like uh, as far as like in a practical sense, what, what are kind of some of the exercises you put the recruits through and you know, what, what do you see yeah. changing them? Yeah. So essentially initially there was uh, the whole, the whole program started initially and it was just a chaplain run thing. And it was about centering around character development, which obviously is vitally important, right? We need, we need, you know, in terms of our, our sailors being tough and being war fighters, they also need to be uh, men and women of character, right? That can make good, you know, yes. uh, ethically and, and, and morally based decisions. And so that's very critical, right? And we all know that as, as leaders in the military, uh, but then we wanted to apply a more holistic method behind that meaning body mind soul right you need to be physically strong in the military right you need to that self-care aspect physical fitness uh 
you know, we became too comfortable being the Navy. Uh, all we need to do is push buttons, right? And, and we kind of became disconnected from the fact that we are war fighters, that we need to be called upon to do physically demanding jobs, regardless of whether you sit most of the day behind a computer. You may have to, to fight that fire. You may have to drag shipmates out of a burning compartment, right? So we need Just to- Just ask the guys in those uh, seventh, feet, seventh Fleet collisions or the USS Cole, they'll tell you all about it. Yeah. 100%. And then the other piece is we need the mental skills. We need the mental toughness, right? And we, you know, overall, we define toughness as I already described it, being able to take a hit and keep on going, right? You take missiles on your ship, uh, you know, you're seeing your friends killed or wounded. You, you were wounded, maybe you still got to get back up. You still got to fight. You still got to deal with career setbacks. Uh, and then the next piece is, is you also have to be able to perform under pressure. Right. When you when you start, when the stakes are high, when the pressure is high, you need to be able to think critically and make deliberate decisions. Right. The, take, you know, mitigate the negative emotional impact. You need to be able to slow things down a little bit and make very, very composed decisions. And so then the final piece is that day in and day out grind, which can kind of manifest itself in a couple of different ways. Right. If you think about, you know, who a very intense combat deployment, that level of stress, how that would impact you over a long period of time. But even for the, you know, the deployments where they're not as combat intensive, but it's just like you're missing home, you miss mm -hmm. your family, you and the guys and gals around you, you're starting to grind at each other. And so you just, uh, you, you know, you need to make sure that you have the kind of commitment to focus an execution that's going to make sure that you're still you're still engaged emotionally and physically into the tasks and so that's how we defined you know toughness and so what that program looked like is we initially gave it to just the recruits right we gave them performance psychology techniques we gave them different meditation we called it mindfulness different type of breathing and uh that would lower their physiological responses during stress you're talking uh, about like uh box breathing kind of like the wim hof method breathing. yep yeah well not yeah similar similar you know like mark divine he, he mm -hmm. talks a lot about it uh he's uh got a high level of expertise with that but it's basically uh you know, we would prescribe a certain breathing protocol and that would, we would call it recalibrate. And so we would teach the recruits that. So then when they get into these situations where they're really stressed and overwhelmed, we would start pinging them to recalibrate. So then they start to learn how to, okay, this is how I do it. And it becomes like a habit and a routine. And now hopefully one day it sticks with them. And all of a sudden there's a fire on a ship. They're jocking themselves up. They're going through that breathing exercise to lower that energy before they get there. And, you know, and, and law enforcement organizations uh, like LA SWAT, FBI hostage rescue team, they use these things before they make room entries too. So a lot of other people are using it. Um, in fact, I used it once for, uh, before my father's eulogy to calm me down. Mm. Uh, and so that's one aspect. And while we were doing this, we all also realized that the, the drill instructors themselves were, were very stressed out. And so they needed the tools. So we gave them the tools. And that's the part that I spent most of my time teaching was the drill instructors. And they had the tools to make sure that they were emotionally in control when it came to those recruits that were really pissing you off, right? You just want to <laughs> strangle them, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but if you yell at that recruit, you yell at them because that's the choice you made because that's the tool you want to use. If you yell at somebody all the time, it no longer becomes an effective tool. Right. Yell at them if that's what the situation calls for. If somebody's completely flustered and stressed out, yelling is not going to be an effective tool. So use it. But if somebody's slacking, then it may be an effective tool, right? Uh, and so we wanted to give them the tools. And then when we did that, they could more seamlessly teach the recruits uh and so that's what that looked like in a lot of cases D different different stressful events we would give them we'd use that as a medium to get them what we call just in time training we would give them performance psychology training such as uh mental rehearsal uh self-talk uh energy uh arousal control or energy management uh, and so that's what that would kind of look like as well as uh classroom uh, character development, which would be a lot of sea stories that, that talked about, you know, the, the decisions that you have to make ethically, morally, things yeah. like that. When did this program start again? Uh, we started, my involvement started like, I, I want to say like the September, 2017. I would love to see what the statistics look like over the long 
uh, time frame of, you know, suicidal ideations, uh, you know, just poor decisions that are being made that, and how this program is positively, uh, to use a COVID-19 current term, like flattening the curve, right? And so how that impacts, do you know, do you have any idea of what? Well, so, so we had study and control groups that, you know, and I think, and I don't know exactly where they're at right now. I know they're trying to measure, but, but I look at it like this. Let's be very honest. Let's, let me be, let me be uh, you know, candid with the fact that you send somebody through the best physical training, right? If I, I can go give you the top sports coaches and, and we, can get, we can give you the perfect program and I can do it for three months. Two years later, if you haven't done anything since then, yeah, you got to keep doing it's, it. It's of no good, and the same is yeah. here. Uh, so essentially, what we we had to start somewhere, right? And so what we really did is we we demonstrated with with research with our with our study and control groups. We demonstrated that it that it's proven that it works. Uh, the big, the really really hard part is they leave boot camp. And they go to all these different type of A schools, right? And so how do we, that was the part that we were, like my, the people that took over for me, their job uh, was to, you know, I, I went to the headquarters level after boot camp, and, and my direct replacement was now in charge of trying to, to export the program. And so while I was in, we worked with partners such as Navy Nuclear Power Training Command, which is, you know. It's tough the, pipeline. The Smartest people, the nukes, right? The smartest people in the military. Mm -hmm. We also have a high attrition rate, right? Like buds, but for different reasons, like SEAL training. Uh, and, and so we partnered with them. We started partnering with the, uh, some of the officer sessions like uh, uh, OCS and uh, ROTC. And, and so uh, helping them kind of establish programs. And now the admiral that we worked for, he's down in, uh, he's a, a, he's a group command, a submarine group commander, and he's running pilot programs uh, on some of his, with his, some of his squadrons. And so that's- Oh, the, really? Like out in the fleet, they're actively engaging in the program. Yeah, he's doing that's it. That's awesome. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a, and so if you, you know, two years from now, if a recruit's done nothing since boot camp, yeah, you're not really going to see much but we had to start somewhere. And once we figure out what it looks like, because, you know, you're going to have to have a warrior. You're going to have to have a psych. You're going to have to chaplain at every kind of command. The warrior doesn't have to be a seal, right? The warrior is whoever that person looks up to, right? If you're going through machinist mate, a school and you know, you have the studliest gal or, or guy machinist mate and, and you know, the new sailors look up and they say, that's who I want to be like, then that's your warrior. And that, that person is going to be an effective uh, teacher of the subject matter we want to get across. You know, I think it's really interesting because we send sailors to firefighting training. Uh, and, and really there's a, in every, every facet of the, the Navy and probably in the military, there's like a, a life cycle, right? So there's the basic phase, the training phase, the deployment phase, and you come back into the maintenance phase. And so as you go through these, each cycle, you have to redo all of those trainings, right? So why wouldn't we add this in as, you know, some to keep the continuity, I guess, and hopefully that will uh, expand into that eventually. Uh, what does uh, mindfulness and meditation, like, what does that look like for you? Like explain, because I think a lot of people that haven't practiced any form of mindfulness, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people with like a moving meditation. So it looks different for everybody, I guess. Uh, like, there is a direct correlation to how your brain uh, or how you feel or how you go into a meeting, right? Like after a workout, like I can tell when I'm coming on a podcast post run or before run, like it's a different conversation. Like I'm not as, my, my brain is not as fired up. Like I'm not as, uh, I'm just not firing on all cylinders. Right. And a lot of that it, for me is a moving meditation. Uh, what, what does meditation and mindfulness look like for you? How would somebody get started? Right. So if okay. they, yeah, I think a lot so, of people wait for the book to come out that they're going to read that's going to teach them how to do this. So how do they just get started and what does it look they like? They don't need to overthink it. You know, I think the yeah. first thing, you know, when you talk mindfulness and meditation, it gets like, this can, it can become very convoluted, right? Some people ascribe religious meanings to meditation. I'll simply say this. Mindfulness mm -hmm. is your ability to stay in the moment in the present. It's, you're not thinking about, if, if, I'm, if I'm fully present 
and mindful in our conversation right now. I'm not thinking about what happened five minutes ago. I'm not thinking about, uh, I'm not thinking about, you know, I'm going to go drink a beer after this, right? I'm in the moment right now. I, I can get distracted, right? Things are going to happen around me. I'm going to hear noises. I'm going to hear my kids running by, but, and I'll notice it, but I'm not going to let it get carried away. Same thing with emotions, right? You're in a conversation with somebody. It's a leader. It's a contentious leadership discussion. And somebody says something to you. Uh, you can start to feel yourself like get, you know, your face get flushed because you're getting a little bit angry. You, you know, you can feel that and it's okay to feel that, but you can't let that emotion hijack you now. Okay. Because then you're no longer, uh, you're no longer being mindful. And so when I mentioned, you know, you see a, an intervention you need to make in a training session with the recruit, right? You know, emotionally, you can get swept down that river and immediately just start yelling at them because they're not doing the right thing. Or you can take a step and say, okay, what are the results that I want to get out of this engagement? Let that inform the decision that I make, the choices that I make. Uh, mm -hmm. And so Again, that's being mindful. Meditation would be the overt practice of training, right? Like you want to be like you want to be stronger, faster. Well, let's do those. Let's do those mental bicep curls for our brain. And so that's going to look like to me, headspace. It's simple. John and I yep. talked about this yep. on the past. You know, I'm not overthinking. It's it's a very it's easy. It's 10, 15 minutes a day. It's just get on there. There's different programs that you can use. You have trouble waking up in the middle of the night. You can use it then. You can use it just, uh, I use it in the morning. I do ones called Focus. Uh, that's what I've been doing lately. Uh, and that helps. You can also do other things. Like you can be mindful when you're brushing your teeth. One exercise that the Sykes would do with the, with the, uh, the drill instructors is they would bring out a, a bag of candy, right? And they would hand each person a piece of candy. And they would say, okay, we're going to mindfully eat this piece of chocolate, right? And it's going to be like, all right, well, how does it start? It starts with focusing on what the wrapper looks like, the sound that it makes when I crinkle it in my hand. Okay, then I'm going to open it. Then I'm going to smell it. Again, I'm going to just be focused on what that is. And so then we'd ask them like, well, all right, what are your thoughts? Oh, it tasted really good. Well, good. That's, that's <laughs> not really being mindful, right? Because right. now you're, you're ascribing you know, a character to that when really it's, well, what did you taste? Well, it was sweet. It was, uh, it was crunchy. So that, that's kind of, there's different ways that we can play with it, right? We can drive down the road and say, all right, I'm going to scan. I'm just going to look, I'm going to look at signs. I'm going to look at the road. I'm going to look for, right. You're just scanning, looking at stuff, but you're fully present. You're fully engaged. Um, and so it's not really, really overly complicated, but it's like, you know, it's like everything else. You just got to be, you have the discipline to do it. Right. And I think the big, the, one of the big things is you're not going to always feel like you're not going to be like, man, I, I, I'm getting so awesome at this meditation piece. Right. And one of the, one of the psychologist friends of mine, she was describing like how they would hook certain people up to like the electrodes. And even those that said they got nothing out of a meditation ses a session, the, the results actually, the feedback was actually know that they did. So even if you're not, it's not like you need to, to improve on your ability to meditate. It's mm -hmm. not, a, it's not, it's not like you're trying it's to not win. competitive. Awesome. No, it's that you're doing it and you're practicing. Right. And when you, when you, uh, you get distracted, right. Which, cause your mind's going to wander while you're meditating. It's that act of bringing it back which is where you're kind of, that's where you're starting to strengthen the frontal cortex. Yeah, I love that. It, uh, I think too, it's, it's a lot about understanding that there are things within your control and things that you cannot control, right? And uh, Eckhart Tolle, have you read uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle no, by chance? Yeah, so that's a pretty good read and I'm paraphrasing and I'm probably messing up something that he quotes, but he says, you know, you're not your thoughts, you're your interpretation of your thoughts. Right. So to your point and exactly what you're saying is like, you're going to have these thoughts, you're going to have these distractors, you're going to have, you know, things in your life, but it's how you introspectively internalize that and think about it. You know, that is what you are. That makes up your, your being, not your thoughts. Right. And meditation is definitely a good way to get through that. Uh, right. And that's why we pair that with the, some of the performance psychology tools mm -hmm. as well. Right. You know, it's a lot of it, like, you know, for example, like a pitching coach, a book I was reading about, you know, one of the pitching coaches for baseball would say, all right, like, you know, the pitcher's having a hard time on the mound. You know, that's the nice thing about baseball, right, is that pitching coach could go run out there and have a conversation, right? You can't do that, you know, for most sports. And <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> Unless you want to get hurt. <laughs> you know what? 
I don't want you to think about striking this batter out. I want you to think about, all right, here we are. We're back on our we're – not, we're not here. We're not here at Yankee Stadium. We're on the practice field back in New Jersey or whatever. Okay, you're not trying to strike this batter out. You are – all you're trying to do is hit his glove. You're trying to hit the catcher's glove. Just hit the catcher's glove. And so a lot of times it's, re, it's exactly how you described. When we face challenge, sometimes it's a matter of, of reframing it. Right, it's a matter of, of reframing and applying some psychological uh, psychology techniques to getting there. Some, uh, before we go do something stressful, it's a matter of, okay, we need to perform in this specific event. Okay, I need to go, whether it's a sales pitch, whether it's a leadership meeting, whatever that is. Okay, here's what I want out of this situation. Let me put myself in, in that situation in advance, right? Let me, what is the, what is, I, I, the smell of coffee, the sound of pens clicking, Okay, what does that look like? Okay, what, what do I feel like when things are going right? Okay, what could go wrong and what answer will I have? Okay, so this is the type of things that, that we can do. I think that and then, a lot and then, of athletes will relate And then to uh, visualizing the actual accomplishment of that goal, right? Or yeah, 100%. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Yes, no matter what, you can visualize things going, uh, you can, going off track, right? You can visualize yourself stumbling but you always are the master uh, of your destiny in that exercise. You always end that with what the desired outcome is that you want. Yeah. I think there's a lot of power in visualization and it's hard to do when you're in the dark place, right? It's hard to do when you're overcome with adversity or if you're just quite honestly scared because you think you can control the outcome, right? And having that PMA, that positive mental attitude, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to affect a lot, like a thousand little decisions that you make walking into that decision, right? Uh, yeah. It's a lot of little course corrections. And with that mindfulness and that intention, right, setting that intention before you go in there can be extremely beneficial and it's probably underestimated. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what are some books uh, that you recommend or do you recommend? Uh, a friend of mine said the other day, he was like, yeah, you're always asking people about books. And then at some point, you know, when do we just decide that we have it in here, right? Like it's, we have it within ourselves and quit reaching out. So what's your, what's your interpretation on uh, some books you would recommend? You know, it's funny is I always get people, you know, I always get people asking me, have you read the seal book? Have you read Jocko's book? Have you read, you know, I'm like, no, I don't like, I don't read seal books. And you lived it. Yeah. You lived it. You know, <laughs> but, you know and I, I don't need to hear the stories, not that they're not cool or, or, you know, great things that people have done. It's not that it's when, you know, if somebody's going to talk about leadership, I don't, because we're raised in the same culture that we've likely had a lot of the takeaways. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get on and, and, and read somebody's and I'm like, Oh, that's what I was kind of thinking, but he said it in a book and now I can't talk about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I get in my own head about that. And yeah. so I avoid that type of stuff. But whereas if I read about that in the context of business or, or in sports, I can say, oh yeah, that was like that one time on, on this deployment to Iraq in 2008 that, you know, and so mm -hmm. I, I can look at it that way. But I, and it's exactly the reasons like that, 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 we do things like that, uh, that we read things is to get inspirations, not that we're necessarily always looking for a brand new take on, but it starts to, there's so many things that we have within ourselves that we've forgotten about, right? You know, especially the older we get, we just need, uh, it's for fleshing some of that stuff out and bringing it to the surface. It's, it's in there. It's our stuff. We just need a little help kind of remembering it sometimes. And so I think books are useful. Uh, you know, right now I, I finally got around to reading. I'm in the middle of doing um, Simon Sinek's book, uh, The Infinite oh, Game. I just finished that. Super yeah. good read. Yeah. Yeah. Simon Sinek, I was actually surprised the uh, Leaders Eat Last was like on the CNO's library. Uh, and I had no idea. I read it outside of that, like not thinking it was required naval reading, but uh, yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff to put out there. One, one thing I do think with books and recommending books or even podcasts, right, is because in 2020, in the age of information, you're going to consume information, right? Like right now is a choice of information. Like I'm, I'm learning from you, like you're teaching me, right? Hopefully you're getting a little bit out of our conversation. So we, in a, in, a, in a broad scope, if you zoom out a little bit, right now we are consuming each other's information, right? You don't have a choice, you're consuming information. So that can be music that's influencing you, that can be conversations, that can be podcasts, that can be books, 
or that can be MTV Cribs, you know, so you have a choice, right? And so that's why I recommend the books and that's why I recommend podcasts and things like that because I think if you have a choice, you're going to consume information. You have a choice, right? So why not choose wisely in something that's going to benefit you and help you grow? Um, and hopefully, you know, this conversation, somebody got something out of it. Yeah. And I think one of the best, you know, I always go back to, you know, I, I think I, I'm a big fan of, of McChrystal's book, Team of Teams. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read that yet. I have not. It's a great book that really, and, and I like that because it, it's, he does such a great job of tying in all these different examples from all kinds of different industries and professions and, and, you know, makes this example of how to navigate a level of complexity in, in networks and things like that. And, and fundamentally how you, how you build trust. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a really, it's a good book. Trust is trust is huge. Actually, I could record a whole hour podcast on how everything is trust related, right? Like you had to, you had to trust me a little bit to come on the podcast, right? Or we, I had to trust it. A lot of things are related on trust. And a lot of that, I think too, we need to have trust in ourselves that as we move through and navigate adversity, you know, with the tool set, like the stuff that you're teaching, you know, if you have this stuff in your tool bag to use a cliche term, then you, you can trust in yourself to make the right decisions. And you have the soft skills to, you know, not live in a scarcity mindset so that, you know, eventually you know that you will land somewhere where you're supposed to be. Well, and I think, you know, I think sometimes we don't have the candid conversations regarding trust, right? You trust is a journey, right? You know, if you look at between leader and direct report or subordinate or, you know, organization and employee, it's a journey and it needs to be a a, a two way development of that trust, right? You know, as a leader, but you, sometimes it requires that conversation, you know, as a leader, if I, if I'm, if I'm trying to develop you, I, you know, what I may be doing may look like micromanagement, which may say, well, why don't you trust me? And I will say, well, Hey, we're developing that right now. Right now I'm like, I'm in much closer contact with you as I, as I develop confidence in your ability to kind of execute the plan, execute the vision and the strategy. Know, know that this, know that once we start developing that mutual trust, now we'll start to kind of, I'll start to zoom out, right? And now, uh, you know, you'll be able to operate more independently because that's ultimately what I want you to be able to do. We want to have people that are empowered to execute independently. Uh, We don't want to have people that are always just constantly waiting to be told what to do, but we are developing that trust. And and so in the flip side of that coin is now, now that person that works for me, they have to have trust that I have their best interests in mind. Okay. Well now, of course, as a leader, it's my job to, make sure that I am, you know, advocating the direction that we need the organization that we need the mission to go. But ultimately as a leader, uh, it's my responsibility to show care and, and the, the well-being of my employees to demonstrate that. Right. And they have to trust that I'll do that. They have to trust that I value their input, that I will communicate their concerns uh, up the chain of command. So, so there needs to be a dialogue about that. And there needs to be understanding that I have to earn just because I'm in charge doesn't mean that I don't have to, to earn the trust of the people around me. Well, and it's a constant pouring into the same bucket, right? Like you can't, you can lose trust very quickly. And so it's something we have to maintain through time. Like, it's not like, okay, I just earned the trust of this individual. And now I'm good to go. Right. Like it's, it's earn it every day, right? Every single day you have to earn that trust. Well, and, and you know, and with tro- and how do you, how do you expect to develop that trust if you never get out of your office? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. You look at so many, like I'll ask, I'll ask people, right. I'm like, when's the last time you, when's the last time anybody within, if you're working within, you know, uh, you know, shipping and receiving, right? When is the last time that an executive leader has, not, not with everybody, right? An executive leader can't have individual conversations with any, everybody, but when's the last time that executive leader has, has picked up the phone and said, I want to have, I want to fly a couple people from this department, this department, this department, that department out to HQ and have a conversation. 
to yeah. see, hey, are, are, are the values and the execution uh, in the direction, are they all in alignment, okay? And how do I do that? And, and when you start doing things like that, when you get on your – when you get on the road when it's permissible and you go in there and you go out to these in the military, they call this the battlefield circulation, right? In mm -hmm. Afghanistan, all these different outstations, the commanders will fly out there and have conversations with the, the, the privates and the young petty officers and really try to get a feel for what things are like. And, and that's how you develop that trust, right? And that's how you develop that, you garner that buy-in. And so I, I think to your point, that's like, it's not one and done. That's, that's a relationship. You're, you're nurturing a relationship. Yeah, hundred percent. I also think we're in a relationship. I, I've said this quite a bit, actually. I, I've developed this like philosophy that we're all in a relationship with everything. Right. So like when we think relationships, we think people, right? So this is my girlfriend, my boyfriend or whatever, but you're actually in a relationship with your job. You're in a relationship with money. These are all things that, you know, you're in a relationship with. And so you have to, maintain some level of balance, but at the same time, understand that every relationship is important, right? Like it's all important, all of it. Uh, so developing those relationships comes from having these conversations, right? And how can you have those conversations via email? You, you can't, <laughs> you, can, no. you, you can't get feedback. Uh, so no, and it's, it's like, you know, you, you were like, I, I can be most efficient. It's like, man, don't you have people for that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I hope you do. Right. Man. You know, in terms of I've officially, I've engaged, I can engage 5,000 people with this email or I could engage less people, but at a higher degree of intimacy, you know, one-on-one -on -one. and that, you know, it's not just that one conversation because that person's going to tell other people, yes. Hey, I just had a discussion with the CEO and man, I, I feel like he, he listened to me and, and, you know, she understands, you know, so. Well, that, and it breeds, it breeds that authenticity and then they know where your intentions are, right? That, yeah. That's how you articulate your intentions. It's very easy to misunderstand what somebody's trying to say in an email because uh, they can add their own voice inflection or, you know, what, whatever, uh, they want to perceive whatever assumption they want to operate under. Um, so I have, I have one last question that I ask everybody. So anybody that's ever listened to one of my episodes already knows what this question is going to be, but I'm going to kind of shotgun it on you because uh, I know you enjoy the challenge. Um, but did you have anything else you wanted to share? I'll link everything in the show notes and stuff like that. So we don't need to go through that, but is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we shut down? Is that my final question? No. Well, I'm giving, I'm giving you that's the question. No, that's not the question. So did you have anything else you wanted to share real quick before I, I hit you with the last question? Uh, you know, I was thinking about making a, you know, I'll probably make a video on this, but you, you know, I think one thing that would benefit a lot of people right now in terms of like, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, or, or just leaders in general, you know, leading an organization through uncertainty and doubt and, and changes is, is really going back and saying, all right, what are the basics? What are the fundamentals that when I execute these at a high level that I meet with success? Okay. Three to five things. Let's write them down. What are they? And, and if we struggle to think about what those things are, then let's do a postmortem of, of successes that we've had in the past. Okay. When I, when I, you know, when I was successful, it looked like this, it felt like this, I prepared in this way. And within that should be some keys, should be some, you know, hopefully some critical information that you can say, okay, regardless of what timeline we're in, regardless of what the situational context is, let me devote some resources, some capital, some time into being really good at these few things. And that'll keep me tied in. That will keep me going, keep the ship going in the right direction. I love it. All right. Last, uh, last question. Um, it, it's, something that I've been working on for a while, I, I, probably it, that I've noticed in my own life, some mistakes that I've made or some lessons I've learned through the journey, right? Uh, the hero's journey that we all are going to live through. And I think a lot of us put the cart before the horse and we worry about our legacy first, right? We worry about that legacy. And then what feeds into our legacy is our reputation, right? We're worried about what others think of us. And then what we fail to do or maybe not you, I'm not speaking directly about you, but what I did was I worried less about my character and what I, what I believe makes up your character is your value system, right? So what, I'm, what I've learned is that if I worried more about my value system and my character, my reputation and legacy would happen autonomously, like that would take care of itself. And actually it has proven to do so in the, in the last few years, right? So if I were to write in this book right here, or I'm taking notes, well, I'm not really taking notes, but if I were to write this down and you would never see it, 
and I just wrote, you know, Stephen Drum, character, colon, what would you hope uh, others would describe as your character? And then what are you doing on a daily basis to ensure that, you know, that shines through? You know, I, I would hope that, you know, it would be something to the effect of that, that I put a focus and a value on, on relationships, obviously starting within my own walls. And I tried to be ultimately of service. And in some small way, I tried to add value to other people. I tried to give them something that they could say, Hey, that's, there's something that he let, there's something he told me that I can use. And, and, and if I reach a number of people that it, it can just maybe grab one nugget from me and, and use that, then I think I, that would be, that would be a good place for me. That would be a good epithet. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think you're doing it, man. Uh, just want to extend gratitude your way again. I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, I appreciate you coming and uh, sharing uh, your message. And I, I got a lot out of it personally. If, if nobody else got anything out of it, I really enjoyed it, man. So it means a lot to me. I appreciate you. Yeah, it was great. Great convo. Uh, it was, I was fueled by caffeine. So hopefully I have some, <laughs> some, it's good some to go, man. sense out of all the things I rambled about. It's all good, man. I appreciate you. Thanks. Hey, you bet. My pleasure. And that's it folks. Steve and I talked a little bit off mic. Uh, Boy, I could have talked to that guy for another couple of hours. He's got a, a lot of good lessons, a lot of good takeaways from his experience in, in leadership and development and uh, breaking down the stigma of mindfulness, right? Uh, we talked a little bit about that. He said meditation and mindfulness is the, the bicep curl for the brain. Uh, I took that out of his Forbes article that I read uh, from his LinkedIn profile, which I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Uh but it really is, you know, the introspective work, the self-awareness, uh, the self-acceptance, right? Uh, don't confuse it, your your confidence with arrogance. However, you know, you can show up as your best self if you're doing the introspective work. And uh, part of that, like he so eloquently described, was being in the moment, right? And when you get distractions, to recenter yourself. And one of the best tools for that is some form of mindfulness practice and whatever that looks like for you. He gave a few examples. I gave a few for me. Uh, so I would encourage you all to <clears throat> reach out inside of your uh, network and see if there's any resources for you there, but you don't have to, you know, you have it within you right now to take a moment and be quiet and sit still with your thoughts and, you know, you are not your thoughts. You are your interpretation of your thoughts. And so having that center uh, is, a, is a really great way to move through life if you're trying to grow. So we had a, you know, like I said, that, that was, I got a lot out of that conversation. If it only reached one of you, great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so again, if you like what uh, what Steve had to share, uh, go over to his um, stuff that I'll put in the show notes, and uh, you know, give it a share there. Or connect with him. Also, you know, you'd be doing me a huge favor if you would just share this podcast with that one person that needs to hear it. Uh, give it a like, a share. You know, give me a review. Uh, I don't, I don't get. It. There's no money out of that. I don't. It just helps the project grow so that we can all help each other. You know, rising tide lifts all boats, and that's how we get. Um, this movement going is, or how we continue the movement to grow and evolution. All right. I love you guys. We'll talk next week out here.